Man, thanks, Tony. Thanks, Russin. Um, I want to tell you more than ever, I'm very excited about our year. I just have to tell you this. I work with middle school with my husband, and we are so excited about what's coming on up this year for our middle schoolers and high schoolers. So I just want to let you know that if you are in middle school, if you're in high school, just come and try it. I am telling you, this year, our high school leaders are unbelievable which is amazing because our middle school leaders are unbelievable. So the fact that we could be able to, God will provide leaders that love students like we've got this year, it is just like he just has just increased our numbers and increased our leadership there. And um, are you guys doing okay this morning? I want to ask you that before I keep going. Well, I don't know if you... Oh, thank you. That was a little better than Rustin's first one. That's good. Um, when um, I, I was... We're in between series, as you guys know. So I was laughing because... Um, but then I, I learned that we're doing the community service next week. But the next two weeks are going to be like the 90s one-hit wonders. You know, like Ice Ice Baby. Just that one shot. Because we're not part of a series today. We're not part of a series next week. Um, the Macarena. That was a one-hit wonder. I learned that on Friday night from VH1. Um, good times. I was alone in my house. It was really great. Um, and it was clean. So I was just like, this is the best night ever, Lord. Um, as I was asking God, okay, where, where are we going today? Where are we going? He reminded me of a story that I had read back in June. And it was about a missionary couple. And their heart was to be able to serve a group of unreached people. And unre- a group of unreached people means they have never, ever, ever, as far as anyone knows, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this couple, of all places to be stationed was stationed in the middle of a jungle, and their job was to witness to, to share the gospel to a tribe of cannibals. If that is not a picture of a couple who's purposed in their heart to follow God no matter what, I do not know what is. So this couple, they got there, they took the river, the river in, they made it to their part of the jungle where they had to be, they made them a thatched one-room kind of house, and they just begin to try to communicate with this tribe. And remember, they don't know their language, they don't know their culture, they don't know their customs, but they are just reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. About three or four months passed, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes it doesn't matter if you don't know someone's language. It's very easy to understand signs and symbols. So, for example, if I, I don't know what someone's saying to me, and it's in a, not in English, in a foreign language, I can usually tell by their face and the sound and tone of their voice if it's nice or not nice. One afternoon late in the day, this missionary couple was greeted with a message from a couple of the tribesmen who let them know that that night they would be dinner. That's pretty universal, isn't it? So this couple began to go, they went into their hut and they just began to pray. Because, see, they had purpose in their heart, they were going to follow God no matter what. And when you purpose in your heart to do that, what you find is that you will lead a life of uncompromising faith every time. And as the sun went down and darkness fell on the jungle, they could hear in the distant, not so far distant, the beating of drums. And they knew that their ceremonial dance had begun and they would be coming soon. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. They could hardly believe it when the sun began to peek over the horizon and they realized that they were still here on earth and they had not come and had them for dinner. 
And I think about what would I have done because I probably would have listened to fear and that would have said, get up and leave, head to the river, let's get out of Dodge. But see, these people had purposed in their heart to follow God no matter what. So I imagine after they had a huge praise session to God, they just got up and began to do business as usual. And they began to continue their ways to reach this tribe. Because what these missionaries knew is that at the end of our life, we all have a story to tell. And did they want to have a story that was full of regret? Or did they want to have a story that said, no matter what, we followed God? About a year after that night, the chief of that cannibalistic tribe came to accept Jesus Christ. And by this point, they had been able to communicate. They understood each other. And the chief of this tribe said, "I, I want to ask you a question about that night where we were going to come and get you and your wife. And the missionary man said, what is your question? He said, well, what I wanted to know was, who were those tall men that surrounded your hut with those gleaming bright swords? And where did they go? And the missionary man, I imagine his eyes got as big as golf balls. Because that night, him and his wife, by faith, they believed that God was in their midst. But they had no idea that anybody else could tell that. And we're going to take some time this morning to look at the book of Daniel, in particular chapter 3. Because if you don't know this about the book of Daniel, besides it being a really cool book, it is a book that is all about how to live in a godly way amongst difficult and worldly circumstances that we as Christ followers can purpose in our heart to follow God and live uncompromising lives of faith. We can do that. And before we hit into that, I'm just going to open us up in prayer. God, we are just praise your name. We are so grateful to be here. And God, what I know that we need more than anything is just to hear from you. I pray that you would just calm our hearts, that you would just somehow just, just slow our minds down so that we can hear exactly what you desire to communicate to us so that when we leave here, we will know, we will know, we will know that they have not heard from anybody else but the Lord Most High. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we hit Daniel 3, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. It's Daniel 3. But let me just tell you Daniel 1 and 2 because it's pretty important and it's really phenomenal. Here's what happened. For years, um, God's prophets had been warning Judah, if you people don't stop sinning, if you people don't stop committing idolatry and worshiping their gods, there's going to be consequences. So they did not quit. So guess what? There was consequences. So what happened was King Nebuchadnezzar, who is a king of the Persian Empire, came and conquered Jerusalem. And he began to deport Jews back to Babylon. And he did it in three different deportations. And the first deportation... He told his men, I want you to go in there and I want you to get any of the sons of royal and noble family that are strong, good-looking, and healthy. I want you to bring them back to Babylon. I want you to put them in a three-year program. I want you to teach them Babylon literature, Babylon customs, Babylon, Babylon language. And then in three years, they will come into my service. So they got a group of young guys, and of those young guys, four we know for sure, because Daniel teaches us. It was four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, at the time, just so you know, these four guys are about 14 to 15. They come in to this training program, and because they're in this special royal service program, they are allowed to eat food from the king's table. The problem is some of that food was considered by God to be unclean. Well, these four guys decided, you know, we're going to follow God no matter, no matter what. We can't eat this food. So Daniel was the spokesperson. He went and said, listen, 
can we just eat fruits, vegetables, and water? And the guard said, no, because if you end up looking scrawny, it'll be my head. So Daniel said, give us 10 days. If we don't look better than the others, we will eat from the king's table. The guard agreed. In 10 days, these four guys looked better. So the guard changed everyone's diet to fruits, vegetables, and water. That's where we hear about the Daniel fast from. It kind of comes from this passage. So what's interesting about Daniel 1 is that through a series of events, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get to come before the king, and it says at the end of chapter 1 that King Nebuchadnezzar found them to be 10 times wiser than any of his magicians, his wise men, and his astrologers. In Daniel 2, God gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, and in the process, Daniel gets to become the prime minister, and he makes sure, because he's a good friend, he asks King Nebuchadnezzar to promote his three buddies, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are now over the affairs of Babylon. So when chapter 3 opens up, here's what I want you to know. These, these three guys, who at this time are about 21, 22, They have a position of power and influence. They should have been slaves, but instead now they are ruling people they're not even of. And they have this incredible position. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to put some scriptures up on the board. Uh, We're going to read through some of them. Some of them I'm just going to kind of tell you the gist of them. It's in Daniel 3, so feel free to follow along. And this is how chapter 3, verse 1 opens up. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to this dedication of the image he had set up. So guess what? They all came. And then when they all got there, the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That's the end of verse 6. So let me just tell you a little bit of this. I want you guys to get a picture. At this particular time in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man. His empire was 127 provinces. And not only that, he was smart. He was an incredible architect. Like he is the one from the seven ancient wonders. He created, for example, the hanging gardens. This amazing man. But not only that, he was very full of himself. You need to know that too. Because when you own the most stuff, you tend to think you are the best one out there. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he created this statue because he wanted to unify his kingdom under one type of religion and kind of to be a symbol of world power. I also want you to know that Babylon right now is in modern-day Iraq. It is between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. So what what he did is Babylon, let's say, is here, and a few miles outside of Babylon on this plain of Dura, it's a plain, he had them build this huge statue. And I want you to imagine in this Middle Eastern country how it would have shined because there was nothing else there to absorb the sunlight except for this gleaming 90-foot object. Unbelievable. Even though he was a wealthy king, most scholars, they all agree on this, that they do not believe that it was made of solid gold, but it was made of wood and they overlaid it with gold. So, down there was a furnace. I want you to know this furnace, the day everybody came to worship, it was still there. It was like a smelting furnace where they would melt the metal and then cover the wood. This furnace looked like a beehive. So there was a hole at the top 
where you'd put stuff in and it kind of came down. And at the bottom, there was a door with a window where you could look inside, but you could go in and get stuff out. Now, because everyone had been invited, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been invited also. I find it interesting that King Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't interested in just having the people of Babylon come. He wanted all the leaders. In fact, the way the leaders are listed in the Bible, it's in order of importance. So I need you to so, should know that when a satrap showed up, he didn't just show up by himself. Because important people always have an entourage. In fact, sometimes unimportant people have an entourage, right? But these people would come and they came with all their attendants and all their clothes and their camels and all their donkeys and all their, all their stuff. They came with that. So if you could just imagine with me this huge 90-foot-tall, 9-foot-wide statue with like a 1,000 people out in front of it and all of these leaders from all across the provinces, all across the kingdom, they would have been wearing their best garb. In 1851, a group of men, archaeologists, they discovered ancient Babylon. And what was really interesting is literally on every brick, King Nebuchadnezzar made sure his name was on it. He was going to get credit by golly because it was his kingdom. But outside Babylon, a Frenchman who was an archaeologist that was part of this three-man team, he discovered this interesting square brick base that was 45 feet by 20 feet high. And these archaeologist men think it was the base to this huge, unbelievable statue. Now, we already said that Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach were over the affairs of Babylon, which means they would have known the statue was being built, and they also would have known what it was being built for. So, they go. But they're guys who are purposed in their heart to follow God no matter what. It wasn't a problem for them to declare loyalty to King Nebuchadnezzar as a subject of the king. But the problem was, this statue violated the first two commandments that God had given. You shall have no other gods, and you shall not worship any graven or man-made image. So these guys knew, we've got to go, but man, we've got a hard choice to make. And I wonder, as the weeks and the days led up to them having to go to this official party, I began to wonder what type of lies the enemy was telling them. Because here's the deal, when, as you and I purpose in our hearts to follow God no matter what, the enemy will always try to get us to compromise. And so I wonder what he was telling this. Maybe he was saying to them, oh, it's no big deal. Who's going to know? You're the only people that made it this far up in the system. No one's going to see you. Or maybe he said, listen, what good are you, Dad? You just need to go ahead and bow. You know, or, or maybe I like this one because this has just made me think about sometimes we do this. Like, I'll bow at my knee, but I won't bow at my heart. Or maybe it just was simply something like, really, your life, this is expecting too much. That's just really too much for God to expect from you. You know, when it comes to this kind of thing, we will always allow anything to serve as an excuse when we have a heart bent on compromise. I got a phone call three weeks ago, and I called this woman back, and we began to talk, and she told me about a decision she had recently made, um, and it was a decision that we would say would go against God's word. And as she sat there and talked, all I heard was a heart that was bent on compromise. It was a heart that was bent on what she was going to do. And I thought, I'm just going to pray for her. 
because she wasn't in a place where she was willing to change her mind because she was going to do what she was going to do. But these three guys weren't that kind of person. See, these guys had purpose in their hearts to follow God no matter what. So in verse 7 it reads, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither of the lyre, the harp, all the band, it kicked on, everyone fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I imagine that these guys, these three guys, were probably standing near their friends. I don't know about you, but when I have to go to some event that I probably think is going to be boring, I for sure want to make sure I'm with some friends because a lot of times funny thoughts come in my head. And I want people that I can share them with that are going to enjoy it and laugh with me. So we would be in the back and I would be with my friends. And I imagine when everyone else fell, it would not have been hard to see the three that did not because it's a plane. There's no trees, there's no buildings, there's nothing else to hide them. And I imagine their friends would have been tugging on the bottom of their robe saying, the furnace is right over there and it is going. You need to bow. They're not kidding. And I can just imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, no, no, we will not bow. We will not bow. John MacArthur says that when it comes to these kind of decisions, the kind of decisions that cause us to compromise, our decisions and our attitudes and our behaviors, they're going to be determined by two different things. External pressure or internal principle. External pressure or internal principle. We had been married about three years. And we, uh, Glenn is a small business owner, and so we wanted to just, the tax laws change every so often, and we knew they had changed. And Glenn wanted us to meet up with this guy just to make sure that we were doing all we could to take advantage of the tax laws. Like, we don't want to pay more taxes than we're supposed to, but we certainly don't want to pay less than we're supposed to. We want to pay the amount that is required of us to pay. So we went to visit this man, he gave us four options. Now the first two we were already doing, so there was just two left. Now one of those two was no big deal, and it was going to save us a little bit of money. Nothing major, but we could do it. But the second option would have saved us a lot of money. It would have required us to lie. So this man, we go together, and Glenn's sitting over here, and this man suggests these options. And I said, well, we're already doing the first two. So he tells me the next two, and I, I kind of just skim over. I go, okay, we can do that when I skim over the one that we can't do, because we're not going to lie. We're not going to lie. So I said, well, what else do you have? And he said, really, that's all I've got. And I said, well, I, that's not really going to work for us. That's not an option, because that would not be true. Well, then this man, I was in my early 20s, and he was at least twice my age, he began to just external pressure me and tell me how everyone else that was doing the job that Glenn does does this, and it's no big deal. And you know what? You just need to get with the program, little missy, and come on. And he was being very vehement, kind of a little bit strong. And then um, I took a deep breath. And I noticed when I did, Glenn kind of sat back in his chair and started smiling. Because this is what he knew. My wife is black and white. This man is never going to know what hit him. So I calmly just said, um, I just want to review to make sure that I'm hearing you correctly. And I said, well, we cannot do business with you because if we are required to lie, then we will not do business with you. And of course, when I called him a liar, well, I didn't tell you to lie. I said, well, clearly, and I repeated everything. Well, that's, and then he kind of got really silent. And I said, thank you for your time but I think we're done here. And Glenn just got up out of that chair and he reached across that board. He said, yes, sir, we cannot lie, but thank you for your time. And we left that place. 
And I, I just, it's just sometimes when the enemy wants to, it's going to be either external pressure or internal principle. And if you're in high school and middle school, man, come on, there's a lot of external pr- pressure going on there. But you can choose internal principle. You can choose in your heart to follow God no matter what. Because here's the deal. When you choose to follow God no matter what, you can bet there's going to always be somebody there ready to accuse you, judge you, or ridicule you. There just is. What's really even harder is when it's with people that you love that do that to you. That is hard. That is hard. So sure enough, everyone's bowed. If you can imagine, 997 people bowed. There's three guys still standing. And then all of a sudden... The astrologers of the Chaldeans, they show up and they go to the king. And it starts in verse 8. They say to him, oh, may the king live forever. And they say, hey, remember that decree you made that when the music starts, you have to bow down or you get thrown in the fire? And here's why they were reminding of that. Because in the Persian Mede law, once a law or decree was made, it was irrevocable. Not even the king could give a pardon for it. And they knew that. And here's the deal. They hated these Jewish boys. Because these boys were not from this country. They should have been their slaves, but instead they had a position of authority and these guys more than likely had to answer to them. And that just made them so mad. Then he went on they said, These Jews, there are some Jews in verse 12, whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. Well, here's the deal. First of all, King Nebuchadnezzar knew that they didn't serve as gods. That wasn't a problem. But it was a problem. If you're an egomaniac and you want everyone to do what you say to do, it's a problem when you've got three people out of a thousand that won't. He became furious with rage, the Bible says. And he summoned these three guys, Shavrat, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he offers, and this just lets us know how much he liked them, because he couldn't pardon them. He couldn't change the law, but he could give them a second chance, just in case they weren't clear. He said, listen, is it true that you won't bow down? that you don't, you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up. When you hear the sound of the music, when the band starts, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown into a blazing furnace. And then he says, I love this line, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? When I read that, I just kind of thought, oh, no, you did not just say that about my God. But, you know, when I heard that, too, I thought about the things that the enemy whispers to us. Like, you know what? Your marriage is too far gone. There's no way God can fix it. But God can rescue that. If you start tithing, there's no way you'll be able to pay your bills. Yeah, God can't help you. Numbers don't lie. Don't tithe. Or maybe... Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with your schoolwork. If you lie, you cheat. And the the enemy says, go ahead and lie and cheat. Your parents will never know about it. Or maybe your spouse will never know about it. Because that's the kind of stuff the enemy tells us, is your God can't help you. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said to them. Because when we purpose in our heart to follow God, we can always expect the enemy to never give up trying to get us to compromise. But for these three guys, this was a defining moment. Not just for them, but for those around them. Because they had decided they would follow God with their whole heart, no matter what. And it says in verse 16, And I believe they were so calm, because here's the deal. They knew that God was the Lord of life and the Lord of death. And they just said, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, O Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't even call him king. I really like that. They were just friends. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I just read that and I think, man, I, I want to be that guy. I want to be that kind of person. Stuart Kennedy was an Anglican minister and uh, in World War I, he went to serve as a chaplain. And he was in an infantry group in France. And he wrote this letter I'm going to read you a little snippet of to his, to his son. His son was about four, so his wife would have read it to him. But this is what he wrote to his son. The prayer I want my son to learn is to save... The prayer I want my son to learn to say for me is not, God, keep daddy safe. The first prayer I want my son to learn is, God, make daddy brave. And if he has hard things to do, make him strong to do them. Life and death don't matter, my son, but right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still, but daddy dishonor before God is something too awful for words. I suppose you'd like to put a bit in about safety too, and mother would. Well, put it in afterwards, always afterwards, for safety does not matter near as much. And I think about that, and I thought, these guys got that. At the end of my life, I don't want people to say, that Susie, she was really safe. I mean, wouldn't it be incredible if when people look, think about this church, Westridge, and they think about us, they don't think they're a bunch of safe people. They think they are a bunch of people who are uncompromising. They've purposed in their hearts, and because of that, they go after people and share the gospel people that nobody else in our community will talk to or touch. They will give and serve in ways that nobody else will go and do. Why? Because that church has purpose in their heart. They're not going to be safe. They are going to be obedient. Matthew Henry says that these guys resolve to die in their integrity than live in their iniquity. Because these guys knew that God would deliver them from death or in it. So 19, Nebuchadnezzar's pretty mad. So he tells his guys to heat the furnace seven times hotter than usual, which I find that funny because this furnace usually got to be up to about 1,800 degrees. So you'd think that'd be enough, but 1,800 times 7 is what it was. He was just so smoking mad. He ordered these guys tied up. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were tied up with all of their guard, their turbans, their robe, their trousers, everything. They were bound up. And then these strong soldiers had to carry them up and threw them in. And it says in verse 22 that the king's commandment was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Wow. So hot that it literally jumped up and killed the men that threw them in. I was going to share this today, and it was in my devotion this morning, too. But I just want to encourage you, because we all go through fiery times, hard trials. But I need you to know, Psalm 17, verse 8, says this that we are the apple of his eye. And that's like your pupil. And I don't know about you, but nothing ever touches my pupil without me knowing about it. And when we go through a hard season, I need you to know it's personal to him. 
It is not, oh, they'll be fine. It is personal to him because we are children of God. But there they are. They're in that fire. They've just been ducked. And all of a sudden, a game changer is about to happen. I got to tell you, when we purpose in our hearts to follow God with everything we've got, and we live these uncompromising lives of faith, I am telling you, it affects the world around us. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes we see it over years, but it changes people. Sometimes people do things, and to them it is the smallest thing of obedience, but it speaks volumes to me. And these guys, their faith was so great that it commanded the attention of heaven and earth. Because we see right here, it says in verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. And then he said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the sons of a god. King Nebuchadnezzar, he worshipped many gods. So he was polytheistic. He didn't know who that fourth man was, but he knew he was something special. Across the board, all the scholars agree that fourth man was Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that these three guys, 21, 22 years old, ever thought in their wildest dreams that their act of just faithfully following him, act of obedience, not compromising, would be so great that they would get the attention of Jesus himself? Can you ever imagine that they would have thought they would be walking around and talking in an 1800 degree Fahrenheit times 7 kind of furnace, talking with the Son of God? Do you think they ever forgot that? Do you? I mean, like at every party you went to, if one of those guys were there, it didn't matter how good your story was because they had the Jesus in the fire story. They would always trump everyone's story. Like, you, you, oh, never mind, I can tell them. Shadrach's here. Never mind. I mean, it's just, I mean, this, no one had ever done this. And really, it's just so weird. You can't make it up. You know, that's what's really fun about God. He just does the craziest things because you couldn't make it up. But can you imagine in this season when they were in this fire, just like we're in the fire. Sometimes we're in the fire with God. This church has been through a hard season of fire. But can you imagine how it changed these three guys Forever. Forever. All because they lived by this internal principle that they were going to follow God with their whole heart. Whenever you're in a fiery place, really hard circumstances that are just so overwhelming, I just need you to know Jesus is in your midst. In this story, Jesus doesn't show up when the guys are on the platform about to get thrown in. And Jesus, you don't visibly see him when they come out of the fire in just a minute. But when they see Jesus, it's in the thick of it. It is in the hardest part of it all. And when I read this story, I just want to tell you, I couldn't help but think about us in the past several months. I really told God I don't want to cry. It's just so close to my heart.
made it this far because Jesus Christ has been in our midst. It's not been perfect. It's not always been polished. But we are this far because Jesus Christ is in our midst. And the coolest thing about when Jesus Christ is in your midst in a hard time is people notice. I don't know if you know about this, and I, I just imagine that you do. Have you ever had friends that have had really hard things happen? Cancer? They lost a spouse through death or through divorce. They lost a child. And you've watched them through that fiery trial. And when they got out of it, you just went up to them and you said, Hey, I just want to ask you a question. When all that was going on, you just had this peace about you. How did you do that? Because if that had been me, I would have been devastated. And I am telling you, every time I ask somebody this, they have always said to me, I have never experienced my intimacy like that in my relationship with Jesus like I have during that hard time. It was horrible, it was hard, but if I could do it over, I would because I've never experienced Jesus like that. I remember my mom saying that to me in the thick of her chemo. Just saying, during that time, I've never experienced Jesus like this. And here's the deal. When we're in the middle of our fiery trials, Jesus is in our midst and people are gonna notice. Keep going. Sure enough, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26 He says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Notice he does not call out the fourth man. He is smart enough to know he cannot do that. They came out, and all those official people crowded around him, and this is what they noticed. That the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, and their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I cannot go to my favorite Mexican restaurant and order fajitas and not come out smelling like fajitas. How is it they can be in this hot fire and not smell like a barbecue pit? How is that even possible? Just like week, I had a friend. She, she and I were talking. She's in a fiery place. It's really, really hard. And I shared a little bit about this lesson with her. And I said, but here, I got to tell you something. And she's pressing into God, y'all. She's praying. She's seeking I said, I need you to know, if you don't know this, Jesus is in your midst. And because he is, you can come out of this ordeal and not smell like smoke. You can come out of this ordeal not feeling bitter, not feeling hatred, not feeling anger, all because Jesus is in your midst. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes on, he says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can serve this way. And then they got a big old promotion. So that makes me think, what's the rest of the story? What's the rest of the story? Can you imagine how fast this this story traveled? Can you imagine when these important delegates came back to their towns and they just said, hey, how did it go? And they said, if I had not seen it with my own eyes, because they clearly would have seen them being thrown in. If I had not seen it, I would never have believed what I'm about to tell you happened. At this time, there were Jews that already lived in Babylon that had left God and they were worshiping all these other gods. Can you imagine how this story convicted them and caused them to turn back to their faith in God? I wonder who else put their faith in God that had never known or met him before. 
This story was used for years just to encourage the Jewish people, just to remind them that God is in control, he is on the throne, and he is faithful. When we choose to purpose in our hearts to follow God and live uncompromising lives of faith, we end up changing those around us. We just do. Because when we live an uncompromising life, in the end, our life will end well. That doesn't mean we're going to be super rich, super smart, but what I know is it will end well. And for these guys, this defining moment, because we all have defining moments, right? But our defining moments are moments that take us out of our comfort zone, take us out of our box, and force us to be someplace that if God does not show up, we are sunk. And in this story, God took these three guys out of their box and he changed their lives forever. All because they purpose in their heart to follow God. And at the end of the story, they got a promotion. They got a new direction to move. And I just think about us. I love what Brian Case said last week. We've been in a crazy place. It really is just time to move. It's just time to make sure we've got our heart's purpose to follow God. We have our hearts in a place just to lead a life of uncompromising faith. Because the bottom line is, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, it reads this way. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Whatever it is he's called you to, he will do it. He will give you the boldness. He will give you the courage. He will give you the resources. Whatever it is, he will do it. And in the midst of the hard places that we walk in, he is always with us. Just like he has been with us as this body of Christ. And that's why we're able to walk out of here and not smell like smoke. 